And this is, a, this is a unique word. I've never heard this before. But it's true, and I have scripture for it. And it's Bible. And this is, a, this is what I call, for, the, for this generation is all about hacks. You know, you got a hack for everything. Well, I'm going to give you a blessing hack. <laughs> okay? Because I was reading one of Jesus' sermons. You know, that's what the, the Gospels are. Most of the Gospels are Jesus' sermons. Most of it's in red. So you've got to pay special attention to them red parts. If you've got a Bible where Jesus' words are in red. And uh, the Holy Spirit screamed in my spirit as I was reading one of Jesus' sermons. He said, not in those words, but now he's giving me that. He said, that's a blessing hat. Jesus was talking about honoring your father and your mother. And he said something in Matthew chapter 15 that I have read a million times and never seen. He said that the commandment was to honor your father and mother. And the Definition in that context of honor is physical. It's financial, it's gift, it's giving. And he said that you are not allowed, according to that commandment, to give all your money as a gift to the Lord if you have not honored your father and mother. He said anything that's supposed to be honored to your father and mother you can't dedicate it as a gift to God. I never saw that before, and I read it a million times. I had to dig a little bit. I, had to do, I read about five or six different translations to make sure I was getting it right. But the Holy Ghost said to me, he said, that's the secret to that promise. If you have access to your father or your mother, or both, you, you have to set aside even if it ain't but $5, you have to dedicate some financial portion to honoring them. And we know that that's not just an Old Testament commandment because it's reiterated in Ephesians 6. The same commandment is reiterated in Ephesians 6. And Jesus preaches it in Matthew. He says, you can't go to your parents and say, well, the gift I was going to give you, I gave it to the Lord. He said, you can't do that. Which said to me that you should set aside some portion of financial or physical honor to your parents if you have access to your parents. I've never seen that before. But you can't preach it because you're a parent. And people will say, well, she's just trying to get stuff. Now, she happens to Pastor Diana happens to be my mother, my natural mother. But if you have access to your natural parents, even if it ain't but $5, you need to dedicate some portion of physical honor. Exactly. Sometimes it might be, a, it might be, and uh, it doesn't have to be every day I'm going to give them $5. But on a, on a regular and consistent basis. You need to do something that gives. You need to give to them. You need to give. 
you need to give to your father or mother. Now, some of you may not have, your parents might be passed on or they might be out of your life and you have no access to them, whatever the case may be. You have spiritual parents that you can do that unto. You have a spiritual mother sitting right there. You have, and here's the mentality, because God's not just about empty action. He's about heart. The heart behind this is this. A person who can show honor can receive honor. Amen. And you are only worthy of the honor you're willing to show. God's trying to promote you. He's going to give you opportunity to give honor where honor is due. So you need to get a parent and make it a part of your lifestyle to honor them with your substance because they represent God and you want to honor God with your substance. Now, we, we're, we're generous people. I'm not stingy. I give my mama things. I, I do things for her. I take care of her. But on purpose, with the intention of activating the blessing attached to that instruction, that's a different level. That's a blessing hack. Because it activates the spirit of that commandment. Because a person who will not show honor to their father and mother cannot honor God. I don't care how much you pray. I don't care how much you shout, dance, roll around. If you are dishonorable to your mother and father, like I said a couple weeks ago, it doesn't matter whether they are honorable to you. They might have been terrible to you. But that only activates your love response that much more. Because love gives, even when it doesn't receive love, in return. And a lot of, sometimes the spiritual and natural barriers you're facing are because you're withholding honor because the person has been bad to you. And you carry, you allow yourself to shut down that honor relationship because of how you were raised or how they treated you or how they mistreated you or whatever the case may be. And what you don't realize is it's got nothing to do with them. Jesus said if you love your enemies, it's like pouring hot coals of fire on their head. You can torture your enemy with love. That's what Jesus said. You can, you can make it painful for them by loving them. So even if your parents were absolute monsters, the relationship is between you and God. They're just the vessel through which you show that honor. Oh, but you got to die to self to do that. You got to let your pride go to do that. Because when you've been the victim of bad parenting, it's easy to remain in a state of perpetual self-righteousness. I don't have to do anything for you because you were horrible. I don't owe you anything. It's not about owing. Honor goes beyond owing. It's not about, I owe you this, so here you go. That's not honor. Honor is the nature of God in me finds it necessary to be giving to you in specific because if nothing else, you didn't kill me. So every breath I've taken is a gift from you. And if you tried to kill me, you failed. So thank you for being incompetent enough <laughs> to not kill me. See, even if you have the worst parents on earth, if you're alive to, to complain about it, you can honor. 
And if you don't have access to your natural parents, many of us don't, then your spiritual parent carries the same anointing. Because it's not about you and the person, it's about you and God. And God watches the heart of honor. So that works for all ages, all races, all groups. And man, that just, I like those, those kinds of instructions because it's something you can do. I mean, you can do it all, but sometimes the Holy Ghost will just make it so plain and say, look, I want to take it to another level. Here's how you get there. And if you talk to anybody that's walking in the level you want to get to, find out who they honor. You'll see a pattern. Amen. They're very honorable. They weren't all raised in great homes. They don't all have great natural parents. But they, 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 lock, they unlock honor. And then God looks out for them. And it extends your life. Because you can train as much as you want. But it extends your life. It prevents sickness and disease. And it allows you to overcome things that would take other people out. Because that's what the promise is. That it will be well with you and you will live long on the earth. And it's the only commandment that has one, that has that promise attached to it. So that hasn't had much of anything to do with what I'm teaching tonight, but the Lord wants everybody to get in on that. And if you, if you build it into who, how you do business, it's like a, once, once you get the thing going, it just runs on its own. So sorry, Mom, but we have to do better. Because now we have been so instructed. You are responsible for the words you hear once you've heard it. And don't get no, don't get no weight. It could be a dollar. I'm, I'm not saying if you can do 100 and you do one, that's, that's dishonorable. What, what I'm saying is don't get no heavy on you because you don't think it's enough money. It's, you honor from where you can. And God will increase you so that your honor can increase. Because it's the heart. If you got $10 you can do, and you go, I'm going to get 50 cent, and call it honor, that's dishonorable. But if you only got 50 cent, it's honor. Amen. If that's what you can do, do what you can. Teach your children to do it. Amen. Don't reject them doing it to you. Exactly. Parents, listen to me. Right. When I was growing up, we would put things together and do things for our parents. And parents, good parents, don't want their kids going out of their way for them. Because they, you know, they want to take care of their children. They don't want the children to put, take care of them. But if you look at other cultures, especially Eastern cultures, you've got to remember that the Bible culturally comes from the Far East, right? It's a Middle Eastern culture. You look at those cultures, you see how wealthy, look at all the wealthy people in their cultures. Look at how their parents live. The first thing they do is move their parents in. They come over here, they get rich, and then they move their mama and dad. They send, they send the parents, y'all come live with us. You ain't got to do nothing else. You ain't got to work. Here's a car. Here's a house, have fun. All of them. Why? That's, that's baked into their culture. They honor their ancestors. If daddy and mommy came over here on the boat and opened a restaurant or opened a business, start something, and they send us to college, the second we get that paycheck, y'all for work forever. You ain't got to ever work again. That's baked into their culture. That comes from somewhere. And we find it in this book. They were culturally designed, required to honor their ancestors. You better not catch your granddaddy working if you got wealth. It was dishonorable to see your grandmother or your mother working if you had wealth because everything you had was a product of what they created for you. Yeah. 
or what they, they, they educated you, they taught you. Parents don't prevent your children from showing you honor. That's a trait that's going to go with them for the rest of their lives. Don't be like, baby, you ain't got to do that. Yes, you do. Don't put a heavy on them like, you better do something nice for me. I'm not talking about putting your child in slavery to give you stuff. But when a child has a heart to show honor, you allow that. You have to learn to be a recipient of honor because how they relate to you is how they're going to relate to God because you represent God to them. And if they are generous to you out of their substance, they, they plan something, they think of you, they say, I'm going to get this for mama, I'm going to get this for daddy, and they take the time and they take the energy to do that, you better honor that gift. Don't be like, baby, you don't worry about it. No, it's not about worry. You're raising a generation that learns how to honor. Amen. One of the problems with our community, and you know who I'm talking about, <laughs> is we don't honor our ancestors. We talk about ancestors we don't have. We're more honorable to the kings and queens. We don't even know where we come from. We don't know. What, all of us didn't come from kings and queens. Some of us came from janitors and fishermen and everything else. And what were so many kings in the world to begin with? We can't, it's too many of us. We can't all be descended from kings and queens. You treat your mama like dirt, but then you wear a shirt with a lion on it with a crown. Like you from Africa. You ain't ever been to Africa. And if you went to Africa, that lion would kill you. But you don't talk to your mama. Or she got to bail you out of jail every other week. You don't know nothing about honoring your ancestors. Your ancestors are standing right there, and you won't talk to them. But then you want to call yourself a descendant of kings and queens. You ain't no king and queen. It's a parent sitting right there. You didn't pop out no king and queen. You popped out that woman right there. And if she does not feel that you honor her, your, ain't no ancestor go back farther than her that matters. And I'm talking to us, because we got a big problem with creating fake African cultures to honor instead of the ones sitting in front of us. And I have very little to no respect for a man that will not be good to his mother and his father. If you know them, you should honor them. If you don't know them, find you someone to honor and honor them as your parents. Amen. Now, turn to Matthew. Well, actually, hold on, let me get my notes out. See, I got the analog notes, so I ain't got to worry about no random songs popping up. In my, uh, I had to do it, Mama. That wasn't very honorable of me. <laughs> Just so y'all know, I don't know who that, what that song was, and neither does Pastor Diana, and we had no idea how it popped up. We're just going to assume that she got hacked for like 30 seconds. Uh, I don't know where that was. I don't, I, I don't know who it was. <laughs> but whatever it was, it was I, don't, I don't know. I, we, it was mystery. We never have figured it out. I just turned it off and turned it down. But that's why I like paper. Paper don't say nothing you don't want it to say. I got to tell this story before I, before I, I go on. Two years ago, we needed a new dryer, a new washer and dryer. My wife has a friend, mutual friend of ours. She gave us, essentially she gave us mint condition, good washer and dryer, front load, Frigidaire, the color my wife wanted, everything she wanted. She gave it to us for so cheap, she might as well give it to us for free. Paid 100 bucks for a brand new washer and dryer. 
older model, but, ne but barely used. Still had the book in it, kind of thing. But the house we took it from had a different plug than where we was moving it into. Anybody ever had to swap that plug out? Now, the federal government trained me as a mechanic, not an electrician. But I'm handy with tools every now and then. I'm not a bad tinkerer. But I'm much better at when there's no wires involved. Well, I had swapped this plug out on our old unit two times. So I was pretty familiar with how to do it. I had done it twice, never had no problems. So I did it on this unit, swapped the three prong out to the four prong so it could plug into the wall. That was back in 2020. Well, a couple weeks ago, the wife goes to run the dryer. Breaker pops out. She smells the burning smell. She calls me. I come into the room, babe, what's wrong? I smell something burning, and the dryer just stopped. And I heard a pop. She recognized the sound of the breaker. So I went and checked the breaker. Yup, breaker pop. Electrical something going on with the dryer. Now, we've been using this dryer for the past two and a half years. So don't look at me like I did something wrong, and it just blew up, OK? It didn't just blow up. We got two and a half good years out of it. So we called a repair guy. You know, I, I looked around a little bit, because I don't like paying the first guy to come out. And everybody wanted you to pay a whole bunch of money just to come out and look at it. So it was getting a little too long. It ain't been about a, but about a week. But that's too long for my wife. So she's looking at me like, you better call somebody. So she found somebody. As soon as she found them, I called them. They came out today. Guy comes out looks at it, does a couple things, pulls out his multimeter, checks things, you know, like a, like a person who knows what they're doing should. And uh, he says, well, it's electrical. I said, man, that's crazy. <laughs> so he takes the back panel off, the first panel, the panel where you change the wire, takes the panel out. Soon as the panel comes off, he looks at it and says, well, that's the problem right there. And I look at him like, shh. <laughs> My wife's in the other room. I'm like, don't, don't say nothing. He was like, yeah, whoever put this in, they had the wires too close to each other. So the ground wire and the hot wire, over a couple of years of, of it vibrating, they just, he said, because the bolts weren't tight down enough. So they were swinging. And eventually, they're going to touch. And when they touch, pop, breaker goes out. They caught fire, burned out. Burned out the control board for the whole thing. He said, uh, that's what happened. He said it so casual. So he said, well, I can tighten these things. He said, the wire, the, the, the cover is burnt, but the wire is still good because he checked that he could get voltage and all that. So he said, I'm going to tighten these things. He said, whoever put this in, I ain't telling him it was me. He said, whoever put this in didn't even put the bolts down tight enough to keep it from, from messing up. So he put the, he fixed that. Then he went and plugged it back in and started back up. Control board kept blowing out. He said, well, that control board. He said, let me look online and see how much this control board. He said, well. You better off buying a new dryer. <laughs> I said, uh. He said, yeah, because this, he said, this dryer ain't going. He said, it's, it's cheaper to buy a new dryer than it would be to get this control board. I said, well, I guess I got to break the news to my wife. So, and she loves this dryer because it's a match set, everything. It's, it's, it's digital, everything it was great. She really liked that dryer. So I said, well, baby, it broke. I ain't told her I broke it. I said, I said, it broke. But it broke slow. We got two and a half good years out of it. It won't overnight. 
we had some good times with that dryer. So I went to the Lord. I said, well, Lord, you are the God that provides. I said, we don't want to get a brand new dryer yet because we're, we're planning on moving soon. And we want to wait to see what we got to get when we move. I said, I just need a dryer for now so my wife can stop looking at me funny and yelling at me. And somebody gave us a dryer tonight, Mom. That was just this morning when I asked for that. So you know, the, the, you know what's going to happen. Everybody get blessed. Everybody gets blessed. Because that's how God does. So now I, I give my wife a dryer. Don't cost me nothing. We can go back to business. She can be her usual happy, cheerful, peppy self. I get out the doghouse a little bit, and all I got to do is haul away the old one. I'm not changing the wires on this one. <laughs> it was worth the service call to have that guy call. It cost me a little bit of money for the service call, but it was real cheap. He came out and did good business. So long story short, I got blessed, and the people who gave me their dryer is going to get blessed too. So that's how God does. So that's how God, you know, he provides for everybody. So that way I ain't had to tell the story twice because everybody was asking me, what happened? Now everybody knows and it's on camera, it's recorded. So thank God. Man, I'm having a good time tonight because me and the Holy Ghost have been in fellowship. And who's in the New Testament? Home stretch, baby. Home stretch. Here's the, thing about, here's the thing about the New Testament. I live in the New Testament. This don't even, the Old Testament had some spots where I was like, man, yeah. that's struggle. Yeah. The New Testament, I feel like I'm on cruise control now. Yeah. You know, I'm doing a book a day of the New Testament. Especially, you know, you get to the end, you know. But I realized something. The Bible is extremely repetitive. Because God don't change what he says. He just says it a lot. Over and over. Half the Old Testament is the same story yep. told by a bunch of different people saying the same thing. And you got prophets that prophesied the same thing over and over. So it must be real important if God said it that much. Well, the first four books of the New Testament is the same story four times. Got to be something about repetition that God's trying to get us to understand. We always want a new word. Maybe you just need the right word a lot. And if you don't get nothing else out of this, you should get that. Right. It ain't a whole lot of new stuff in the Bible. Nope. It's the same word repeated over and over until you attain mastery, because that's how you get good at anything. You do the same thing over and over until you get revelation. That's how I got good at instruments. That's how you get good at anything. That's how you get good at what we're going to talk about tonight, which is faith. That's how you get good at faith. Faith is very simple, but it requires a lot of consistency and a lot of repetition. We were talking about the mind of faith last week. And I left off on this note that the mind learns and changes through experience, both external and internal experience. Experience is how your mind is renewed. But what do I mean by experience? So your mind, and I don't have, that's a whole separate class to get into the soul, right? So I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. The mind is like a filter. It receives information. It receives data. It receives input from both sides of you, your physical, natural side, and your spirit. And what happens is 
they meet in the mind. Those experiences meet in the mind. And then the mind has to process and relay that information to your will and your emotions. Everything you felt emotionally started in your mind. Everything that you, uh, that you put your will to started in your mind. Didn't necessarily come from your mind. It came to your mind from either the external or the internal. But it comes to your mind first before it affects your soul. The mind is the gateway to the soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And what happens is a thought comes to your mind. And spirit you, who is the one supposed to be in control, can decide what to do with that thought. It can allow it. It can resist it. It can cast it out however it wants to handle it. Let's say for the sake of argument that it allows that thought. The next thing that happens is that thought produces a reaction. And that reaction is going to be what we do in response to that thought. That's our will. I will do, I will not do, I will be, I will not be. This will happen, this will not happen. Our will has to get attached to the thought before action occurs. And you can spot when will has become attached to it because words get attached to it. We begin to say, man, I will do that, or I won't do that. Or man, maybe this will happen, or this won't happen. Then we attach, for the sake of giving value to it, we attach our emotions to it. And emotions are interesting because emotion is designed to reward good behavior and punish bad behavior. But what we end up doing is we listen to our emotions because emotions can make us feel good and they can make bad decisions feel like good decisions. Which is why the filter of your mind cannot be programmed from your will and your emotions. It has to be programmed by the word. Because the quality of the thought has to be determined ahead of time. Otherwise, you will attach an emotional value to the thought it should not have. Does that make sense to anybody? I need to go a little deeper. Oftentimes, our mind receives data that we attach an emotional value to and attach our will to before we've determined its value by the word. Because you can actually operate outside of your mind, and you should. I'm on a treadmill. And I'm not a, I take that back. I love steady state cardio. I used not to love it, but I love it now. I love running. And that's because I've decided to reincorporate it into my training regimen. Because what I was doing, I was lifting a lot of weights. I like weightlifting. Weightlifting is fun to me. I used to probably, I used to work out with Jalen and his brother sometimes, and, and Quan, we used to go to the Y sometimes, and uh, I was always the weakest dude in the room. I think I've always been the weakest guy in the room my whole life. Didn't bother me, but just as a man, like 25 pound plates used to be a chore. I mean, struggle. And you work out with, with Jalen, you just, you look bad. 
you know. He just makes you look bad because he don't sweat much. And it's annoying. <laughs> and so, so, but I like weightlifting. Well, over the past few years, my strength has increased considerably from where I was. We don't really train anymore. But I'm much stronger than I was. I wouldn't say I'm stronger than him. But I'm much stronger than old version of me. Like, I'm, I'm respectable now. When I go to the gym, I can shop in the grown man section of the dumbbells. <laughs> that makes me feel good. You know, it ain't the grown man section until you get to, like, 60. So I'm in that 50 to 80 range of dumbbells now. I'm, I'm in that range when I'm, when I'm dumbbell pressing, you know. I can put them 70s up now and, and get through it. And uh, where was I going with that? Was I just bragging? I might have just been bragging. Okay, so... <laughs> But because I fell in love with weightlifting, I fell out of love with cardio. Because I would go and just hit weights for an hour and then go home. And I began to plateau, you know. And so the Lord said, you ain't, you ain't ran in months. He said, get back on that treadmill and start running again. It's too hot to run outside. I used to run at the track, but I ain't doing that when 100 degrees outside. So I got back on the treadmill. But here's one thing that I learned to do. I train my mind with my mouth. I used to say, I hate running. I love running. You will never hear me say I hate any kind of exercise. I love all forms of exercise that are beneficial. I love getting up early in the morning. I get up early in the morning and go to the gym. I love doing that. I can't wait. I think about what my workout's going to be when I go to bed at night. I can't wait to get to the gym and get them weights up or get on that treadmill and run. I love it. I enjoy it. It's fun. And when I'm, but I'm on a treadmill, and I'm shooting for a certain speed, and I'm this close. But I get to, the, to about three-quarters of a mile in, and my mind goes, that's good enough, man. That's good enough. You're doing pretty good. I said, I'm here to do two miles, not three-quarters of a mile. He said, yeah, but see, I weightlifted first, and then did my cardio last. So I'm already gassed out, but I'm, I'm pushing for endurance. So about a 45-minute wait session, and then you take a five-minute break, and you go run. Five minutes ain't a long enough break sometimes. <laughs> but I get on the treadmill, and I get three-quarters of a mile in, and my mind goes, dog, you've been here for an hour now anyway. That's good. You're good. And I say, out of my mouth, I'm not here for three-quarters of a mile. I'm here for two. And I'm not getting off this treadmill until I hit two miles. Now I slowed it down. Because my body got to train up to that level of endurance again. But I did not get off that treadmill. I stayed on it. And if I caught my breath, I'd speed it back up and run as long as I could. Because I learned something. And you know what happened? I didn't die. I'm still alive. And I'm faster now. And my endurance, you know, that was, I've been doing that for the last month or so now. And man, I got on the treadmill today and it was like, okay, beat my time. Give me about one more week. I'm going to beat, my, I'm gonna beat my, my, my personal record. All with my mouth. Because I learned something. Your mind will listen to your spirit if your spirit talks. Faith has this attitude about it. I want you to go to Matthew chapter 15 
verse 21. Faith has an attitude about it. Faith is extremely dogmatic. Faith sets a goal, and then it stays there till the goal is complete. My goal that day was to not get off the treadmill. Didn't matter how fast I went. Didn't matter who was around me. None of my friends and family are on a treadmill with me. I used to carry y'all with me. You know, you want to be impressive. Stop, I don't care about being impressive no more. The only person I'm trying to impress is me. But here's the thing about me, because I'm, I'm not a naturally competitive person. It's rare being that I'm a Davis, but I'm not really very competitive. Like, peer pressure don't work on me, you know? I'm more motivated by my own potential. I sound a little conceited, but it's true. I want to know that I dug to the very core of who I am. I don't care if I beat you, necessarily. I might use you as a benchmark. But I'm really more interested in finding out what I can do. How strong can I get? How fast can I get? How far can I go? How high can I jump? If you can jump higher than me, glory be. When I was younger, I had friends who were more athletic. They played basketball and stuff like that. I sit right there and watch them play, have a good old time. I didn't care. They were like, man, you look kind of whack. You just sit here and watch. I said, well, I don't like basketball like that. I don't, don't want to play it. Never bothered me. I tried it a little bit. My dad was so good at it, everybody expected me to be good at it, but mama made me short. <laughs> it is what it is. I love you, mama. <laughs> Actually, I think my uncle made me short because I found out that dad was abnormally tall for our family. Did you know that? The, the other men on his side of the family were not as tall as dad was. So I'm, I'm probably genetically, as a Davis, not meant to be with so much taller. I'm the average height for most other Davis men. Dad told me that. He said, yeah, actually, I was taller than my, my uncles and stuff. He said, most of them guys are about your height. And I've been blaming mama my whole life. <laughs> she didn't help, though. But uh, I'm on the treadmill, and I'm not competing against any of y'all. I'm, I'm looking inside, and I'm saying, what can I get out of this thing? And when I go to pick up a weight, I'm thinking the same way. This iron is the only thing that's going to know how much I gave. You'll never know. I can come in here and say, I picked up 120 today. You won't know. My physique might not be believable past a certain number, but <laughs> you don't know. But I know. And when I, when I go in and I say, I'm going to do three sets of 12, when I get to the end of that third set, if I got two more sets in me, I'm going to do two more sets. The paper goes out the window. I got to get to the edge of my ability because I got to know what I'm capable of. Because for strength to matter, it's got to be my strength. That's me. That's how I think when I'm in the gym. If you meet me in the gym, I'm not this guy. I'm a whole different person. For that hour and some change, I'm a whole different person. Me and my wife used to work out. We don't work out together no more. We got to split up. We, we, she, we drive separate most of the time. Because I'm a different dude. I used to scare her. I'd be in the car. I get, I'm, I change for that hour. <laughs> not a very friendly person. I'm still friendly, you know, but I'm not the same person. We used to work out side by side, but I'd be hollering at her too much. She don't like that. She'd be like, leave me alone. So now I had to go, go by myself. Just me in the mirror. And just reach down into my soul and pull out whatever needs to come out. Sometimes your wife... 
she wants you to be nice when you can't be nice. And we were having arguments about it. She was like, why you yell at me so much? I was like, it's not you. I just, it's a man thing. I don't know. But anyway, I learned the secret. I trained my mind with my mouth. And when my mind matches what my spirit wants to do, my body do whatever I tell it. It'll stay on the treadmill. It'll pick that weight up. Now, there's a physical limit to your strength. But most people never get there because their mind give up first. And you listen to your mind. You tend to trust your mind too much. You tend to think that what you're thinking is true. But when you step outside of the conversation as a spirit and say, okay, which one of y'all is coming below our potential? Most of the time, it's not your body. It's your mind. Your mind says, we're going to be sore in the morning. So what? I'll be alive to feel it. But I'm going to be strong today. Well, you know, three quarters of a mile is good enough. You did just do 45 minutes of weights. Okay, but somebody can do 45 minutes of weights in two miles. Why not me? Maybe I go a little slower, but I'm not getting off this treadmill. Faith has that personality. That's how faith thinks. See, I used to think faith was all about believing. Pastor Diana made a statement that went over everybody's head, and I had to reach up and grab it, because it went over my head too, and I reached back and I grabbed it, and I, and I held on to it. And the reason why I know it kind of went over our heads, and some of us was amening it, because it kind of made a light bulb go off, but the reason, reason why I know we didn't really get it is because she kind of moved past it once she said it. And so you kind of unintentionally, she had so many notes she had to get through, you kind of unintentionally, you could have just quit after that statement. And I'm not going to say it the same way you said it because I'm going to paraphrase it because I don't remember exactly how you said it, but I know what you said. And what she said was this. Sometimes we try to use word that's meant to develop us as a command. That was the most profound thing I've ever heard spoken about faith in a long time. You're trying to command the devil with word that's meant to grow you up. And you're wondering why it's not working. Because you don't let that word change you. You don't let that word affect your personality. See, faith comes from the word. So when you get the word, it comes prepackaged with the faith you need to become what you need to become. And a lot of times what we do, we take that word and we find that faith in it and we throw it at the devil. And then nothing, nothing changes because we didn't meditate that word. We didn't put that word in our mouth and direct it at us. We're directing it at a situation or a circumstance. So I can go to the gym and I, they got a 150-pound dumbbell in the gym. I can put my hand on it and I can try to yank it up. I can probably move it now. I ain't going to get much form out of it, but I can move it. But that's not the problem. If the 45-pound dumbbell is where I need to be working to make me stronger, that's where I need to be working. Because I go to the gym to get stronger, not to lift weights. You understand? The result is not how much weight I picked up. It's how much stronger I became. Now, the representation of that strength is how much weight I picked up. But I can come in there with a forklift and move all the way to the gym. But I don't have to be strong to do that. You understand? The goal of faith 
is to turn you into who God made you so that you be more like God. The goal of faith is not to get you stuff or to change stuff. The stuff changes. The stuff comes to you as you become more like God through faith. Does that make sense? That's why you have to live by faith and not just try to use it on stuff. Because 99% of the word you get is designed to affect you. So that the 1% you speak makes everything happen. That's why Jesus was so effective. Because he was 100% transformed by the word. He was the word. He is the word. He's not a past tense person. He's still alive. But you know what I mean. So when the word speaks, it always works. But sometimes, I can say it like this. The word is the only thing that can speak and make things change. Your responsibility is to transform into the word. So that when you speak, things change. Is that clear enough? Because Jesus said, if your faith is like a seed, what does a seed do? It plants, and then it exposes itself through growth until it's an entire tree. Until it has transformed the environment around it. Now everything in its vicinity benefits. He said the birds of the air will nest under its leaves, and it throws shade around, and there's fruit. The entire environment changes. Faith has that nature. It's, in a, it's, it's a transformer of environment. And the environment it's designed to transform is your heart and you as a result of it. And what we're trying to do is use our faith on situations instead of letting our faith transform us and our transformation be the thing that changes our environment. But you're so situation focused. You're so problem-focused. You're so challenged-focused. You're so focused on what's in front of you instead of what's inside of you. Let me show you an example of faith. Matthew 15. Why am I on Matthew 21? I have three bookmarks now, and thanks to Brother Joe, because I really, really like this open Bible. And it's got three bookmarks. I can move all around. And uh, sometimes i got to remember to put them back where I needed it. Verse 21, chapter 15 of Matthew, Jesus went thence and departed to the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her, Not a word. This woman is not a Hebrew. She's a Canaanite woman. This is still Old Testament. Now, your Bible calls it New Testament, but it's actually not accurate. The New Testament doesn't begin until after the resurrection. So everything Jesus did in his ministry was under the Old Testament. The New Testament has to have a new sacrifice, and Jesus was that sacrifice. So Jesus says in, so first he says nothing to her. He's completely silent. He just walks away. He ignores her. And the Bible says that she cries unto him, she calls him Lord, thou son of David. She properly identifies him 
but he ignores her completely. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him some more, saying, Lord, help me. She is not an Israelite. Jesus was not sent to the Gentiles. He was only sent to the Israelites. He was only sent to the Jews. All of the miracles you see Jesus do when he goes out and, and he's healing all these sick people and he's raising the dead and all that, those are all Jewish people. Those are not Gentiles. According to the Jews, we're all Gentiles because we're not Jewish, unless we're Jewish. But he answered and said, it is not fitting or it's not meat to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. So now he insults her. He doesn't just say, hey, you're a Gentile. He calls her a dog. God just called this woman a dog after ignoring her. And she said, truth. She chose to agree with him in spite of him ignoring her and then insulting her. She still chose to agree with him. And she says, truth. And then she calls him Lord. Now, you wouldn't have called nobody Lord if they just called you a dog. You're begging for help for your sick child, and they ignore you and walk away. And then you chase down after them, and they turn around and say, I ain't got to give you nothing because you're a dog. You know any pastor that did that to you would be splattered all over Facebook. You would not be calling them Lord. But her response is, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Now what did she say that was so full of faith? She didn't say anything that was full of faith. Her faith was not displayed by what she said. Her faith was displayed by her persistence. Because first he ignored her, she didn't stop. Then when he finally answered her, he insulted her, she didn't stop. She was not leaving that man till her daughter was healed. And Jesus said, you have great faith. Faith so great that even though I don't have to do anything for you, Jesus was not a horrible person. I hope you understand that. Jesus was literally not sent to the Gentiles. That's why after he resurrected, he had to get his 12 apostles to go to the Gentiles. Because they were like, you can go to the Gentiles, we ain't going to the Gentiles. Then he had to raise Paul up because Peter had a problem with it. So he raised up Paul to go to the Gentiles. And he had to tell Paul, go to the Gentiles. Because now that I've resurrected, this covenant's for everybody. But prior to the resurrection, the covenant was between God and Abraham. And you weren't in on that. Thank God for the resurrection. But Jesus owed this woman nothing. So write this down if you're taking notes. Faith is so focused. Faith is so focused. It's so dogmatic about receiving that it loses all concern for what it has to give. Faith is so focused. It's so dogmatic about receiving that it loses all concern for what it has to give. That's why giving is a problem to so many people, because they focus on giving instead of receiving. 
If you focused on receiving, you become a cheerful giver. Arnold Schwarzenegger said, when I got into the gym, I could visualize the muscle I was building when I worked out. He said, I would picture it. I could picture myself on that stage with my chest popping out or my arms popping out. He said, so when I had to do that one more rep, he said, I loved it. It felt good to me. Because the whole time he's in the gym lifting, he's picturing his physique. He said, I was like a sculptor. I'm sculpting. He said, I would go in, I would know, okay, I need a little bit more here or a little bit more there. And I'd work on that. The whole time he's lifting weights, he's picturing his physique, his final form. He's not picturing what he looks like right now, but what he's going to look like at the end of that season. That's faith. That's why he was Mr. Olympia so many times. Because faith is dogmatically focused on receiving. The world has taught you, religion has taught you that receiving is bad. It told you you shouldn't give to receive. It told you that you don't, it's not about what you get out of it, it's what you give. And that's a lie. Faith is all about receiving. If God had said, let there be light, and there was no light, he wouldn't have gone, well, I guess that wasn't what it was supposed to be. When Jesus cursed that fig tree and walked away, he saw that fig tree cursed. If, if he had come back a year later and that fig tree was still growing fruit, we'd have had a different scripture. Because faith is dogmatic about receiving. So much to the point that it does not concern itself with what it has to give. This woman gave all her pride away. She's being insulted by this man in front of all his dudes. And she is bowing and worshiping this man. That's her pride. But she doesn't care. Because she's going to get her daughter healed. And she don't care what it costs her. You can't embarrass faith. You can't. Faith doesn't care how it looks. Faith, going back to Arnold Schwarzenegger, because I like, I'm not a, I, you know, I don't agree with everything he says, obviously. He's not, a, he's not a believer. But the man know how to exercise. He had evidence for it. So I listened to some of his mentality. And one of the things that he talked about was he be in the gym for six hours, everybody else go home. Well, we got our workout in, we go home. He's still in there. Well, what do you think is going to happen? They're going to talk about him. But we all got to get on that stage and pose. And they ain't going to crown but one Mr. Olympia. And they ain't going to crown the guy that left after two hours or three hours or four hours or five hours. They're going to crown that six-hour guy. Oh, shut up. Give me five more minutes. I'm get, I only got one nugget left, and then I can wrap this module up. You're going to look strange to somebody once you become focused on receiving. And if that bothers you, you're not focused enough. Faith in personality becomes so dogmatic about receiving, it doesn't care what it has to do. If it's got to crawl through a multitude of people with an issue of blood to get to the hem of its garment, it's going to do it. If it has to be insulted, it's going to do it. The Gentile woman in Matthew 15, she had the faith to receive, but she didn't have the right. Because Jesus said, you don't have the right to this healing. 
These promises are for the children of Abraham, and you're not one of them. You don't even have a right for your daughter to be healed. Because you don't belong to this covenant. If she dies, she dies. This is what Jesus told this woman. You understand that's what Jesus told this woman. Y'all read the Old Testament, right? God didn't treat the Gentiles too kindly, did he? This is the same testament they're in at this point. He's the voice of God. He is God in the earth. So he's talking just like everybody else in the Old Testament whenever God spoke. And you heard how God talked about the Gentiles. It wasn't pretty. She had no right to what she was asking for. But in spite of this, and if you're taking notes, write this down. God is moved by faith more than rights. He's moved by faith more than rights. How many times have we word of faith people, myself included, gotten into a situation and tried to confess all of our rights? I got a right to healing. I got a right to prosperity. I got a right to a relationship. I got a right and I got a right. And you do. The devil knows you have a right and so does God. Nothing wrong with reminding yourself of your rights. You need to be aware of your rights. It's important that you, be, that you understand what you have a right to. But you got a right to a lot of things you don't have to faith for. Because you don't let faith build you into a dogmatic person. You focus on your rights. In the United States government, you got a Second Amendment right to shoot anybody that threatens your life with a gun. I took the class, I know. They threaten you with a gun, you got the right to shoot back. But if you don't have a gun, and you don't go to the range and learn how to shoot it, and you don't practice reloading it and aiming and all that good stuff, you can't yell at, your, at the criminal what your rights are. Because criminals don't care about your rights. They care about your faith. Criminals respond to how well you've prepared, not to your rights. They don't come up to anybody and say, oh, he got a right to defend himself, so I'm going to leave. They're looking for a gun. The Constitution gave you the right, but it didn't give you the faith. You got to develop the faith. You understand? You got rights to all kinds of things in the kingdom of God. But it don't come with faith automatically. Faith comes from your dogmatic pursuit. And what happens is, when you pursue a thing, you go to where you can find it, and it's all right here. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. And once I've heard it, I stop listening to anything else. And I don't care how long it takes. I don't care how embarrassing it is to chase it. I don't care what it costs. I heard Jesse Duplantis say he gave all his money away twice. All of it. He said he went to his daughter's piggy bank and emptied it out, his baby girl's piggy bank, and gave it all to the Lord. So the fact that he's got a nine-figure lifestyle now, that would be over $100 million, right? That's why. He's that rich now because he would take the money out of his daughter's piggy bank because the Lord asked for it. Don't take from your kid's piggy bank. 
if you ain't got that kind of faith, I ain't telling you to do that. Exactly. I'm saying that's what faith looks like. Faith looks like crazy. That's what faith looks like. It looks like crazy. When you got bills and you're still giving. Faith looks like crazy. If your faith looks, looks sane, you got religion. You don't have faith. Now, it might, look, it might look sane to us because we know how crazy faith is supposed to look. So we don't, we don't get in the way. But to the world, you, you should look a little crazy. And almost every miracle you see in the Bible that Jesus performed was being performed by somebody who looked crazy. Jairus' daughter was dead. The whole family was there. They had started the funeral. Jesus showed up, said she ain't dead. She's asleep. And they all laughed at him. He looked crazy till she woke up. One woman with the issue of blood had been bleeding for 12 years straight. Every doctor said, this is it. She risked her life to crawl through that crowd to touch the man's garment. Didn't even yell out his name. That would look crazy if somebody had caught her. They just said, well, what you doing out here? I know. I got, I got to be done. I'm sorry. Time. I can't wait for eternity because then I ain't got to worry about time no more. I can preach forever. Wouldn't that be something? But do you understand? Do, do you understand? I'm trying to reorganize our thinking about faith because we spend too much time trying to collect faith to use on the devil. And that's not how faith works at all. And I thought the same way. I did. Maybe it's the weightlifting. It's retraining my thoughts about growth and progress because it's got me thinking about how faith actually works. It's consistency. It's dogmatic persistence. It's focus. I got two more reps, and I'm going to get them up or I ain't getting off this bench. If it take me an hour, I'm not getting off of this treadmill because I came here to do two miles. I'm going to do two miles. That's the personality of faith, and you can apply that to anything. I'm not going to be broke the rest of my life. My marriage is not going to be broken. I'm not dying with this sickness. Now, what does it take to be free? Now, when the word says to do something, I'm not afraid to do it because I've already determined the end. So when he says give, I ain't afraid to give no more because I'm not going to be broke. You understand when he says forgive, I don't I ain't so mad at anybody no more. I can't forgive them because I ain't going to be sick. You understand? We struggle because we don't actually have the faith that we think we have. But now we know, and you are responsible for what you've been taught. So I expect better from myself and from all of us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Amen.